Good morning. Uh, my name is Amy Winkle. I am the interim associate priest, and it's such a gift to be with you this morning to get to worship in the house of the Lord together. Um, we are continuing our study in the book of Matthew, um, and so we are going to pick up where we left off last week in Matthew 13. Uh, we are still in the parables of Jesus, um, and so we're going to read our passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text together. So we're starting in verse 24 this week. So he, Jesus, put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the, the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat among them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the, the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then verse 34, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are, are the angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how it comes to us and enlivens our hearts and enlivens our minds, even in mysterious ways at times. We ask, Lord, that you would be present with us in your word and in this place. That we would have ears to hear you, Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. All right, so um, last week we talked about also a sower. We talked about sowing the good seed, the good sower, the generous sower who sows seed um, onto different types of soil. So this week we're going to continue talking about sowing and how it relates to the kingdom of God. Now, before we jump into the text, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer, which is I am not a gardener, okay? Um, I don't do things in dirt, very often. Um, I enjoy 
like the fruits of other people's <laughs> labor. Um, I enjoy being out in nature, um, but I, to my mother's great chagrin, who was, she's an avid gardener, I do not garden. So actually the other day she was in my yard with me going, oh, look, there's this kind of tree and this flower. And I'm like, great, I love it. I don't, like, that's Johnny's job. Um, so <laughs> I was like, talk to him about what to do. So I just say that as a disclaimer to say, if I say something weird, like, y'all can correct me afterward, okay? Um, okay, so, but this time in this particular parable, there is, are actually two sowers, not just one. So there is um, the householder, the master, who has planted the good seed, um, which is going to spring up as wheat. And then there is this enemy that has come in and sown at night, like in secret, and has sown bad seed that will become weeds. So the servants come to the master when they realize this, and they ask if they should pull the weeds out. Um, but the master says no, to let them keep growing. They will be dealt with at harvest time. I mean, it's a curious thing, right? Like This is one of those parables where you wonder, what was it that Jesus' hearers actually thought? Like This was part of their day-to-day life. So what would they think about the idea of like an enemy coming in in the middle of the night and actually sowing seeds of, of, of weeds? Or what would they think about like leaving the weeds in the field to grow alongside the wheat? Like, were these like some kind of common realities or like something that Jesus was get t- saying to them to kind of switch it up to make some kind of point? I think it's fair to assume that he's probably being hyperbolic here um, to draw their attention to certain parts of the parable. So then the question for us is, like, what is it that stands out to us in this parable? What is it that Jesus is trying to get our attention on? And I think what he's trying to, like, show us is, like, to look at the sower himself and his response to what has happened. That the master does not seem to be anxious about the weeds, right? He doesn't seem to, like have some sort of, like, vendetta to get to this enemy, to hunt him down and to take him out. Instead, he doesn't even really seem to be in any kind of of hurry to get rid of the seeds. But instead, what we see is um, that he's not even thwarted by this enemy. He doesn't seem to get sidetracked by the tactics that, that the enemy has gone about. He's willing to be patient instead, not quick to rip up the weeds even if that's what conventionally you would expect that would, that would happen. So it seems that it is the patience of the master that is the key part of this story. The fact that he's willing to kind of wait it out, even though the weeds can be invasive and even take nutrients from the soil. He doesn't seem to be so quick to rush to a conclusion And so when we think back to our parable from last week and then to this parable, I think there's a similarity here in the sense that um, like the generosity of the sower last week, remember we talked about how the sower goes out and just starts throwing seed out, no matter the soil, like this sense of generosity to just sort of like spread good seed regardless of where it lands. That whole idea seeming kind of surprising And honestly, kind of doesn't make sense. Like, doesn't seem like an efficient use of seed, right? To just sort of throw it out and not be concerned where it lands. The similarity in this particular parable as well is that this idea of the patience of the sower is actually pretty surprising. And in a lot of ways, just doesn't make sense. 
there's a sense of like this radical generosity that we see and then this radical patience as well. And honestly, like that's what makes this parable like so hard to get our minds around. And it can be one of the biggest questions that we encounter in our life with God or even really just for anybody who's living, like whether they believe in God or not. That question of why does God let evil continue? Why not just be done with it? It's the great theodicy question. Theodicy is a good seminary word, like problem of pain. That theologians and and philosophers and just like regular old people like you and me wrestle with this question all the time. Why would God let his people stay in slavery in Egypt for 400 years? Why did they find themselves under Roman occupation in the years of Jesus crying out for salvation again? And as we look through time, like since then and throughout time, these big questions of why, God, did you let that happen? Even to our own present age, we can look around us and see the effects of evil that are happening in day-to-day lives and say, why, God? Why are you letting women and children be exploited through the global sex trade, something that's happening even in our backyard. Why won't you stop it? Why does it seem like those who have evil intentions can just get away with it time and time again? And why do the pains and the injustices that we experience in our own everyday lives, why do those keep going? Why do they continue? Basically the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or in terms of this parable, why let the weeds continue to grow among the wheat? And here's my best answer. And y'all know I've been in school for a long time. I have no idea. I don't know. There are great things written about this by smart people, and I commend them to you. But I think at the end of the day just like this parable, does not tell us why the master makes this choice. We, we can only look at these big questions of life and say, we don't know. It's mystery to us. But God has not left us in the dark, totally, because here is what we do know. We know the sower. We may not understand the why, but we can trust the who. We can trust the character of the sower, the same sower who is the generous sower, the good sower. We can trust in the ways of the kingdom, but that are so different from our world that it's hard to get our hearts and minds around. And so I think that's what Jesus is getting at in these parables, that he knows that the kingdom of God is really hard for us to get our hearts and minds around, but not because it's not logical but instead because it's just so contrary to this fallen world that we live in that we can't even really imagine another type of reality. And and Jesus is just saying, let me show you this reality. Let me show you the reality of the kingdom of God. So let's talk a little bit about this patience of God for a minute. So N.T. Wright says this, Would people really like it if God were to rule the world directly and immediately so that our every thought and action were weighed and instantly judged and, if necessary, punished? 
in the scales of his absolute holiness? If the price of God stepping in and stopping a campaign of genocide were that he would also have to rebuke and restrain every other evil impulse, including those we all still know and cherish within ourselves, would we be prepared to pay that price? If we ask God to act on special occasions, do we really suppose that he could do that simply when we want him to? And then back off again for the rest of the time. In other words, do we want to be the ones who get to say when God steps in and when he doesn't? Seems like a a big weight to bear. But the reality is that God's patience towards the injustices of the world is the same patience that he extends to you and to me. He relents because patience is part of his character, part of his goodness, part of his kingdom, part of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And so if we are people of the kingdom, we are meant to wait and to cultivate patience as well. So, our question before us this morning is, how good are we at waiting? How patient are we? In our culture that doesn't really thrive on patience, who doesn't like to wait, if we have to wait, we usually assume that something is wrong, right? Does inefficiency get at you like it gets at me? Hello, anybody? I find my, the, where I experience the most impatience in my life is when I am in line somewhere. And I'm feeling like things are not running well. Does anybody else have this problem? Okay, just me? All right, good. Um, so I was going to mention a story for you of, of me, especially in fast food restaurants. Um, I can struggle with this. So we were coming home from a trip, and we were in the mountains um, of Georgia, and we were driving back home. And so it was like us in the car with two young kids who are hungry and tired. So you can imagine how this trip is going so far. So we're like, all right, let's stop and let's get something to eat. So we stop at this KFC. And this is not to, like, say anything bad about KFC, but here you go. Um, We stopped at KFC, and I walked in to grab some food. And there were were people, like, kind of waiting, but there was nobody like at the counter, there was nobody in front of me to order. So I was like, okay, just walked right up, ordered, put my order in, paid my money, and then I began to wait. And as the minutes kind of ticked by, what I found myself doing was kind of patting myself on the back for how, well, how patient I was being, <laughs> how well I was doing with waiting. And then, I'm going to tell you all something, I became judgmental of the other people in the restaurant. And like, oh, that person, they're not waiting well. Like, you know, they're, they're getting impatient over there. But look at how well I'm waiting <laughs> in this moment. So like 30 minutes passed, 40 minutes passed. And then Johnny walks in with our girls because they got to go to the bathroom. And Lord, they got to get out of the car, right? And so they walk in, and he asked me one question. And I, I tell you, I cannot even remember the question he asked me. I looked at him. I yelled at him and went straight to the bathroom. <laughs> so he got the brunt of my impatience. Um, poor guy. So <laughs> we did finally ma- we did make it out of the case AFC, but with no food, by the way. So um, anyway, so that was, <laughs> yeah, right? The injustice of it, right? Um, yeah, so, so that, that was one of those moments that where really like something about my character showed up in that moment, right? 
not only that I was being judgmental of the people around me, that was one, but two, that like really I hadn't cultivated a sense of patience um, the way that I wanted to think I had, wanted to pat myself on the back for. And I've seen this come up as well, not just in like these like, in, you know, day-to-day kind of inconveniences, but in my life with the Lord as well. There's moments when he's asked me to wait, and I just don't want to. Um, when I want an answer now. And there's a moment in particular, like when I sort of hit a low point in this, in, a, in, our, in our life story, when we were going through a really dark time, um, a difficult time, and I just, I just really wanted to hear from the Lord. Like, you know, like I just felt like God had been silent, and I really wanted him to act like, Lord, would you just do something here? And I found myself in this low point on the floor, on my face, not like, you know, in a holy kind of way, but literally kicking and screaming, I kid you not, and crying out to the Lord, where are you? Why are you not showing up the way that I think you should? What is happening? Why have you left us here alone? And it was in that moment that it, again, showed something about me, right? About my character, my ability to wait or not wait, my ability to trust or not trust, to lay on the floor on my face, kicking and screaming like my toddler, who was upstairs awake, by the way, in the middle of the night at this moment, um, to, like, to see myself in that way was surprising and embarrassing. And yet it was in my impatience that I encountered the patience of God. Not the condemnation of God. But instead, the Lord reaching out to me to say, yeah, see this? This is, this is where we are. I'm glad that we can kind of get here. Right? I'm glad we can get on this, into this space so that now I can do something. So I found out a book, about a book a couple of months, not a couple of months, a couple of years later, while I was still waiting, um, by a Sumant kid called When the Heart Waits. And um, it, was a, it was a helpful book for me to kind of put language around sort of what this period of my life looked like. She, um, she actually, like, talks about this idea of waiting, like the, the um, metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. And kind of how, like, that change happens. A lot of it happens in the dark. A lot of it happens in the hidden places. And this is what she says about that time in her life. For me, the darkness is partially summed up with the word question. I feel wrapped in an awful, silent pondering that doesn't know any answers, only questions. It makes me think of that odd moment when, as a child, I kicked a ball into the air and it just never came down. I didn't see it wedged between the two branches of a pine tree. I just stood on the grass, mystified, waiting. I felt then as I feel now, as if my life were just up in the air. I keep waiting for the answers to fall out of the sky, but they don't. There should be more gravity in waiting, more logic, it seems. The darkness gets excruciating. In fact, the other word that sums up my darkness is tension. In this dark cave of my own being, I'm brought into sharper contact with my pain. 
At night, shadows that I can't see in daylight play on the wall. I see my wounds, my conflicts, my incompleteness, and my longing in heightened outlines on the walls of my soul. I'd like to be rid of this darkness, to unwrap the cocoon, to get busy, to do something to take my mind off my suffering, latch on to something easy, and some neon answer that will camouflage the shadows. But I have the sense lurking inside that there's a mystery unfolding in the darkness that can't come any other way. That there's a mystery unfolding in the darkness that can't come any other way. Could it be that this is a holy dark? I closed my journal, then wrapped my arms around my knees and let the tears flow quietly from my eyes. I watched them, sensing that they were the birth waters in which I would become new. When I think back to that moment on the floor and these things about me that were kind of coming to the surface, it's not like my circumstances changed overnight. It's like anything like came with the morning. Everything was the same. But now I can look back on that moment and say there was something happening. That mystery that's happening in the dark. So that God can start to break it open. And to bring something new. At the heart of it all, we believe that even in the waiting, and really mostly in the waiting, God is making things new. That something is happening in us and through us in our waiting. And that God is right there in the waiting with us, even if it doesn't feel like it. He's waiting too. That's what this parable tells us. That God is waiting too. But the parable also reminds us that the waiting doesn't last forever. There will come a day when it's time for the harvest. When God says, in his great mystery, it's time to do something about this. Even though it may feel like it won't ever come, it actually will. That is our hope. That is our promise. In our own lives and also in the world at large. The reality of the kingdom is this. That God has already acted by sending Jesus into this world to live among us and to, and to go to the cross to set us free from sin and death. But also that Jesus will return and put the world right again. That he will enact his final judgment where evil will be dealt with once and for all. And so for us, here are the questions that we have to sit with this morning that I want to put before you as we put ourselves before the Lord to say, where are you frustrated with waiting for God to act in our world and in your own life? Where are those places where God might be calling you to wait while trusting that he's still working in the midst of it? What do you think it would look like to find God in the midst of waiting? And to realize that actually God is waiting too. And what does it look like for us to continue to pray through the injustices that we see in the world? Truly believing and asking that God, asking God to act and believing that he will. At the end of the day, we trust the good sower. We know who he is. 
and that his desire in all of us is to root out the weeds in our own life and the weeds in this world. And that's where this thing is going. And we can trust him. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Do a work in our hearts, we pray, Jesus. Even in our waiting. Help us to trust you, Jesus. When we can't see you, when we can't hear you, when things are confusing. When our questions just seem too big sometimes. And we can't find the answers. Would you meet us there, Lord, in your grace? And would you do the work in us, God, that we can't do for ourselves? And make us into your kingdom people, we pray. Amen.